Today's episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. Right now, you can find my book, Virtuous Persuasion, A Theology of Christian Mission, as well as get a listener discount on Logos by visiting logos.com slash mneebauer. That's logos.com slash mneebauer. Think of a time in which you had to forgive a close friend that hurt you. What did this process involve? What did you have to do in order to forgive your friend? And what kind of emotional sacrifice did it cost you? What could that act of forgiveness tell us about how God might go about forgiving us? Welcome to This We Believe, the podcast where we explain the essential texts of the Christian faith. My name is Dr. Michael Niebauer. Last time, we spoke about the Incarnation, the Christian belief that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. We also spoke about this problem of sin and how sin has broken and fractured God's beautiful creation. The Incarnation not only tells us about God, but it also reveals God's mission and purpose for us. Jesus is God who enters fully into humanity in order to rescue humanity. Now, the cross and resurrection are the two acts which accomplish this rescue mission. Today, we will discuss the first part of this rescue mission, which the Apostles' Creed describes when it states that Jesus Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. But first, we have to talk about sin. What is sin? A common misconception of sin is that it is simply our bad or wrong actions. That is part of the story, but sin is deeper and darker than this. At its root, sin is wrong desire. It is every way we place our personal desires above God and above others. It is to place ourselves and our needs at the center of the universe rather than God. In the Bible, the first sin is chronicled in the story of Adam and Eve, of Eve eating of the tree of knowledge despite God's warnings not to partake. Now, the key to this passage, though, the the first sin, if we want to call it, doesn't actually come when Eve eats of the tree. It comes when it says in the Bible that Eve looked at it and desired it. You see, at the root of sin is misplaced desire. It's to look at something and to desire with our heart something that we know goes against God's best wishes for us. And this is the same for us. Our sinful actions begin in our hearts with our bent and misplaced desires. Advertisers know this all too well. Billboards appeal to our desires to get us to buy things that often we don't really need. They want to appeal to our desires to get us to act. Now, when we place ourselves above others, it creates obstacles to our relationships. If I use someone else, if I neglect caring for them, if I ignore them because I'm fixated on myself, all of these things will create fissures and barriers in my relationships. And since sin is placing ourselves above God, 
This means that it also creates a barrier to friendship with God. Now, what are the consequences of this sin? Christians believe that because sin is at its core wrong desire, it functions as a kind of plague in our DNA. It has infected not only ourselves, but every molecule of God's creation. We live in a world that is damaged and broken. We both contribute to this brokenness in our own sin, as well as experience the pain and brokenness of a sinful world. This brokenness is experienced by us in a number of different ways. First, we experience loneliness. Sin damages our relationships with God and others. You see, to love others means that we need to be vulnerable to open ourselves up. But so often when we do, we are hurt by other people. And so we live in a world in which we find ourselves distant and alone. Second, we experience pain and suffering, which is, of course, incredibly lonely, since other people can't feel our pain internally. I can share with you external things, right, like my favorite movie or my book, but I can't share with you internal pain. You can't feel it as I feel it. So when we suffer, we feel alone and abandoned. Third, we experience powerlessness. We can try to not sin, but in the end, we always will find ourselves sinning. Open up social media and try not to be judgmental or envious for three minutes. You see, when we look out even on the evil and brokenness of the world, we know that we are oftentimes powerless to stop it. No one has ever ended war or violence or famine. We are, in a sense, trapped in sin. The Bible states that sin is, in a sense, a form of slavery, of spiritual slavery. Finally, we experience death. Death is the ultimate experience of being alone and powerless. In dying, all our relationships are extinguished. And no matter how well we take care of ourselves, we are still powerless in the face of death. So sin leaves us lonely, powerless, and helpless in the face of death. Fortunately for us, God has acted decisively to deal with this problem of sin by becoming one of us in Jesus Christ. creed states that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate in order to conquer sin and death, to deal with this problem of sin. This brings up an important question. Why did Jesus have to die for sin? Why couldn't God just wave a magic wand of forgiveness? Well, think back to the question posed in the beginning of this episode. Think about a time in which a close friend deeply offended you. That offense created a barrier to your friendship. And that offense uh, needs to be dealt with if you want to continue to be friends. Now, in order to remove that barrier, two things have to happen. Your friend needs to apologize, and you need to forgive them. But that forgiveness part is not easy for us. We can't wave a magic wand of forgiveness. Instead, it costs us something. 
It costs us something emotionally, maybe even financially or physically, in order to forgive somebody else. You see, in forgiving, in essence, you have to swallow up that pain and hurt. Take that pain on you so that it is no longer in the way of you and your friend. In a way, you take that pain onto yourself, into your body, so that the offense no longer is a barrier to your friendship. Now, the cost of forgiveness becomes more great when we see sin on a larger scale. Sin has infected all of creation, and when we try to deal with sin on a bigger corporate level, it begins to be quite challenging. Think here of atrocities committed during a civil war. You have soldiers harming others, and civilians being complicit in allowing such harm. How could one possibly untangle such a web of sin? How can you deal with sin when everyone is guilty? Well, one of the ways communities have dealt with this in history is by having what we call scapegoats. The sins of a community are placed upon one person, usually a leader, who takes the fall so that the community can forgive and move on. The fall of this representative person, in effect, takes down the barrier sin and helps the community heal. Now try to imagine what it would look like to forgive the sins of the entire world. Individual sins, communal sins, sins great and sins small. How could God go about forgiving all of these sins? This is where the cross comes into play. Jesus died on the cross to enable the forgiveness of sins. This happens first on a personal level. God swallows up, takes upon himself, the burden and pain of our personal sin, and thus tears down the barrier that separates us from him. But we can also see the cross as forgiving sins on a communal level. Jesus becomes the scapegoat for all of humanity. This is why we call Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, in a sense, is the the representative of the human race. He takes upon all evil and sin on his shoulders and puts it to death for us so that we might be healed. How is Jesus able to do this? Well, this goes back to what we discussed last week. Jesus is able to do this for us because he is fully God and fully human. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he is able to reverse the consequences of sin. First, because Jesus is fully God, he is able to carry the weight of the entire world of sin on his shoulders. He is able to forgive the smallest and biggest sins, past, present, and future, because he is God. Furthermore, because Jesus is fully human, he can fully enter into our human experience. God suffers human suffering on the cross. And as such, we can have a a human-to-human encounter with God when we suffer. He can be with us. We can find in our suffering that we are actually not alone, that Jesus is near to us. And because Jesus is God, the very author of life, finally, this means he is able to conquer even death. Jesus is more powerful than evil and death. And so after his death, he is able to rise from the dead. 
So when we turn to Jesus, we can stop being alone and start being with God. We can turn to Jesus in times of suffering to receive comfort. And ultimately, we can trust that death will not have the final say over our lives. But we don't see the conquering of death on the cross. The cross can only be understood by us as a conquering of death when we see it in the light of Jesus' resurrection, which we will discuss next time on This We Believe. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on This We Believe. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment and send a link to this episode to a friend or two who also might benefit from this podcast. You can also leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. You can connect further with us by visiting our Facebook page at This We Believe Podcast. Or if you have a question, you can email us at thisweBelievePodcast at gmail.com. Take care and God bless. Mm-hmm.